1: Thanks for joining us for today's edition of Ring of Truth with our pastor and teacher, Dan Sexton, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel, Ellicott City. Please join Pastor Dan as he teaches
2: through God's Word. We don't take pleasure in judgment. You know, we're, You know that, oh yeah, they're getting what they deserve. Right? But just have a heart for the lost that is brokenhearted for those who don't know the Lord, who don't know His salvation, who don't know His grace and His mercy and His love and His forgiveness, those that have rejected Him, those that refuse Him. And that was Isaiah. He wept for Moab. He cried for them.
1: God's judgment of ungodly nations in the Old Testament can seem harsh because you don't understand it. In Isaiah 15, Isaiah prophesies against Moab because of its defiance toward God and his people. While God is holy and must bring judgment, this isn't his ultimate desire as Pastor Dan teaches today. God wants all to come to salvation and is brokenhearted over the rejection of people he has created in his image. In the same way, Isaiah weeps for Moab and the destruction that's coming. Is your heart broken for the lost? And now open your Bibles to the book of Isaiah, chapter 15, as we join Pastor Dan for today's edition of Ring of Truth.
2: In this section, the Lord is declaring judgments that will come upon uh, different Gentile nations that surround Israel. Tonight, we're going to look at chapters 15 and 16. And in chapters 15 and 16, the Lord speaks against Moab, or the Moabites. And so now when we look at, at what God says and what God speaks against Moab in chapters 15 and 16, one of the things that will stand out to us is that God does not outright condemn Moab like He does the other countries. Remember, with Babylon, He, he outright condemned them. With Moab, we see God uh, showing mercy and showing compassion to Moab and giving them an opportunity to repent and be saved. He offers salvation to them from their their judgment. Now, uh, just to give you some background on Moab, Israel had a very interesting relationship with Moab, or with the Moabites. Uh, We're told in Genesis chapter 19 that the Moabites were the descendants of Lot, Abraham's nephew. And so, the Jewish people were the descendants of Abraham, and the people of Moab were the descendants of Lot. And so, the Israelites and the Moabites, they were family. They were related. They were uh, distant cousins, in a sense. In Deuteronomy chapter 2, you don't have to turn there, but Deuteronomy chapter 2, when the children of Israel are, are wandering in the wilderness under Moses and they come into that region of Moab, the Lord instructs the children of Israel and says, Do not harass Moab, nor contend with them in battle, for I will not give you any of their land as a possession, because I have given R to the descendants of Lot as a possession. And so the Lord says to Israel, Don't, don't bother Moab, because they're descendants of Lot. In other words, they're family. So leave them alone. Don't mess with them. Don't try to take any land from them because they're actually family. Uh, In the book of Ruth, uh, remember uh, Elimelech and Naomi, they leave Israel, they leave Bethlehem, and they go and they live in Moab. We see that during the days of Ruth and during the days of the judges, people could travel freely between Israel and Moab and then back to Israel Uh, Israelites could go and live in the land of Moab, and that was acceptable. And if you remember the story of the book of Ruth, Ruth was from Moab. She was a Moabitess. And Ruth, of course, married Boaz, and Ruth became uh, the great-grandmother of King David. Uh, And so David has Moabite blood in his line. And if you remember the story of David when King Saul was pursuing after David to kill him, if you remember, David took his family down to Moab and left them in Moab where they would be safe. He took them back to their homeland and left them among the Moabites for their own safety. Ruth, who was a Moabitess, uh, Ruth is mentioned in the genealogy of Jesus in Matthew chapter 1. And so Jesus had Moabite blood. Uh, in his bloodline as as well. And so the point of all that is to say Israel had close ties with Moab throughout their history, but Moab often opposed Israel. It just came against them. In Numbers chapter 22, it was Balak, the king of Moab, that paid Balaam to try to declare a curse on the children of Israel. In Numbers 25, it was the women of Moab who led the men of Israel into idolatry. Judges chapter 3, Eglon, the king of Moab, oppressed Israel and forced them to pay tribute money every year uh, to Moab. Uh, 1 Samuel 14 tells us that King Saul fought ongoing wars against Moab. Uh, And then in 2 Samuel chapter 8, King David finally defeated Moab and forced Moab to pay tribute money to him each year. Uh, And Moab remained under Israel's control for 150 years until uh, King Ahab of the northern kingdom. Uh, And once King Ahab died, then Moab rebelled against Israel, and Moab regained their independence from Israel. Now, this is a lot of background, but it's going to tie in here in a minute. So that's recorded in 2 Kings chapter 3, verse 5. It says, when Ahab died, the king of Moab, his name was Misha, rebelled against the king of Israel, and under King Misha, Moab regained their independence as a kingdom or as a nation. Now, just some, this is extra credit stuff. It won't be on the test, but uh, 1868. A German missionary is in the region of Moab serving the Lord there and heard about this stone that was there uh, from the locals that was a stone that was inscribed by King Misha, the king that rebelled against Israel back in Second Kings chapter 3. And he went and checked it out. And sure enough, there was this, this huge stone that was inscribed by King Misha, uh, the Moabite king. Uh, It's about four feet tall. It's about two feet wide. uh, And it records in detail the successful rebellion of Moab when they rebelled against Israel and the God of Israel, Yahweh. It talks about Yahweh on this stone uh, under uh, King Mesha, uh, leading the Moabite people. And what's interesting is in this inscription King Mesha gives all of the credit for his success and his victory against Israel. He gives all of the credit to his God, Chemosh. And he says over and over that it was Chemosh, his God, that delivered him and gave him victory. And he says things like, uh, Chemosh delivered me from all the kings and has made me triumph over all my enemies. He says that Chemosh told me to take this city from Israel and that city from Israel. Uh, he, He mentions several cities by name that are in the land of Moab, and he boasts of conquering them in one night and taking them from Israel in one night and killing all of the people, all the Israelites that lived in those cities and taking the vessels, he says, that belong to Yahweh, the God of Israel, and putting them in the temple of his God, Chemosh. And some of the same cities that King Mesha, the Moabite king, mentions on that stone, the Lord God mentions here in chapter 15. And some of those same cities that King Mesha says he took in one night, the Lord here says he's going to destroy those cities in one night. It's just interesting. And so if you look here at verse 1, the burden against Moab. And, and remember, he, he says it's a burden because it's he's delivering a heavy message. It's a message of judgment. And this judgment against Moab will be carried out by the Assyrians three years after Isaiah gives this prophecy here. Now look at what it says in verse 1. Because in the night, Ar of Moab is laid waste and destroyed. Because in the night, Kerr, of Moab is laid waste and destroyed. Uh, Ar and Ker, these were major uh, cities in Moab. And here the Lord says that they will be destroyed in one night. He's going to destroy those cities in one night, just as the king of Moab boasted about his victories over Israel and taking cities in, in just one night. He has gone up to the temple and Dibon, which is a city in Moab, to the high places to weep. And so uh, the Lord here says in response to this destruction that's going to come upon Moab, the Moabites will go up to their temple to their god Chemosh, and they'll, they'll go to their temple of Chemosh. And remember, they claim that Chemosh gave them the victory over Israel, And now they're losing and Chemosh is failing them. Their God is failing them. And so they go into the temple of their God and they weep there in their temple because their God is not giving them the victory over their enemies. Moab will wail over Nebo and over Mediba. Uh, These are cities that are in the northern part of Moab. Uh, Assyria, when they invade, they're going to invade from the north. And so the northern part of Moab is going to be attacked first. Uh, And remember, Nebo, uh, the Lord took Moses up on Mount Nebo and showed him all of the land of Israel, and Moses died on Mount Nebo. The people of Moab, they wail over the fall of Nebo and the city of Medeba. On all their heads will be baldness, and every beard cut off, that was a customary way of mourning or grieving to shave your head, to shave your beard. It was an outward symbol of, of your grief. In their streets, they will wear a cloth, that clothed themselves with sackcloth. So they're going to wear sackcloth. Again, this was another sign of, of mourning or grieving. Uh, it's believed they made sackcloth uh, out of camel's hides. Uh, if you've ever touched a camel before, their, their hair is very coarse, it's very scratchy, uh, and so they would wear the garments made of camel's hair uh, when they were mourning or when they were grieving. Remember, Elijah the prophet wore camel's hair. John the Baptist wore camel's hair. Uh, they were grieving for the spiritual condition of Israel, uh, for the, co- the condition of the nation. That's why they wore those outfits says in verse 3, In their streets they will clothe themselves with sackcloth on the tops of their houses and in their streets. Everyone will wail, weeping bitterly. Heshbon and Elaleh will cry out. Their voice shall be heard as far as Jehash. Now, Jehash was about 30 miles away from Heshbon. You know, and so, of course, he's, Exaggerating here, but you know, the the idea is they're going to be wailing loudly in the streets over the devastation that comes upon their country. Therefore, the armed soldiers of Moab will cry out, his life will be burdensome to him. The, The soldiers will be too afraid to fight against the Assyrian army because the Assyrian army will be so overwhelming. The army of Moab will just lay down their weapons and flee in fear instead of fight. I don't know if you've ever been down to uh, Fort Washington, uh, down on the Potomac River uh, here in Maryland, but Fort Washington was a fort that was built, I think in 1808 or 1809, to defend the city of Washington, D.C. And during the War of 1812, when the British Navy sailed their ships up the Potomac River to attack Washington, D.C., the captain of that fort, uh, he saw the Navy ships and the firepower that they had, and he knew that he was no match for those Navy ships. And so instead of engaging those Navy ships and firing upon them, he ignited his uh, gunpowder magazine and blew up the fort. And abandoned the fort. And he allowed the Navy ships just to sail by. And they burned the city of Washington, D.C. to the ground. He, he was too afraid to fight. He was ultimately court-martialed, by the way. And was humiliated for the rest of his life, understandably. But here, the, the Moabites, their army, they're just going to be too afraid to fight, to even try to engage the Assyrian army. And, and they just they flee in fear. In verse 5, we see Isaiah's heart here for Moab. He says, my heart will cry out for Moab. Because of this judgment that's going to come upon that nation, Isaiah's heart cries out for them. That's also the Lord's heart. That's the Lord's heart for the lost. His heart cries out for the lost. You know, in Ezekiel chapter 33, verse 11, it says the Lord that he has no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. The, the Lord has no pleasure in the death of the wicked. He has no pleasure in judging people. He has no pleasure in judging a nation for their wickedness or for their sin. Second uh, Peter chapter three, verse nine says the Lord doesn't want anyone to be destroyed because of their sin, but wants everyone to repent to turn from their sins and receive forgiveness and salvation through Jesus Christ. That's his heart. That's his heart for the lost, that they would repent and be saved, not perish in their sin and wickedness and be judged. His desire is not to judge. Chapter 55 of Isaiah, it says, let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. That's the Lord's heart. The Lord pleads with the wicked to forsake his way. And the unrighteous man, his unrighteous thoughts, and to turn to the Lord. And then the Lord will have mercy on him. And the Lord will abundantly pardon him. You know, no matter what his sin is, the the Lord is willing to forgive. If we repent and turn to him, Jesus, if you remember in the Gospels, Jesus wept over Jerusalem because they rejected him and he was brokenhearted by their rejection. All he wanted to do was protect them and care for them. He said, just as a mother hen gathers her chicks under her wings, that's what I wanted to do for you, Jerusalem, but you weren't willing to let me do that for you. And so he breaks down as he's entering into Jerusalem for that last time and seeing the city and knowing the judgment that's going to come upon that city because they've rejected him as their Messiah and Savior. It breaks his heart to see that. It breaks his heart to see that. And here we see with Isaiah, Isaiah wept for Moab. He wept because of the judgment that was coming down, that would come down upon them because of their wickedness. Because if they're sin, and I think you know, that should be our heart too for the lost, right? We don't take pleasure in judgment. You know, we're, you know that, oh yeah, they're getting what they deserve. Right? But just have a heart for the lost that is brokenhearted for those who don't know the Lord, who don't know His salvation, who don't know His grace and His mercy and His love and His forgiveness. Those that have rejected Him those that refuse him. And that was Isaiah. He wept for Moab. He cried for them. Look what he says in verse 5. His fugitives or his refugees, speaking of Moab, shall flee to Zoar. Now Zoar, if you remember, that is where Lot found refuge when he fled from Sodom before Sodom was destroyed. It's also where Moab was born to Lot. And so they, they go back, really, to where they began as a nation, to Zoar. And Zoar is way down at the bottom of the Dead Sea. And so the people are, are fleeing as the Assyrian military is invading the land from the north and moving down through Moab. The people are fleeing ahead of them, and they have fled all the way down to the bottom of the Dead Sea, to the town of Zoar, and they're, they're seeking refuge there. And it happens to be the place where their nation began, the town where Moab was born. This is breaking Isaiah's heart. He's crying out for Moab, for the refugees who flee to Zoar like a three-year-old heifer. A three-year-old heifer, it's, it's, in, the, you know, it's in the prime of its life, is the idea. Uh, Moab is in the prime of its life as a nation when Assyria comes in and invades the land and conquers them. Uh, this wasn't like the, the, uh, the nation was already on the way out kind of thing or already disintegrating. When Assyria invaded them, they were in their prime. For by the ascent or the hill of Luhith, that's a city in Moab that's on a mountain. You have to walk up. They will go up with weeping. For in the way of Horonim, again, that's in the southern part of Moab, they will raise up a cry of destruction. It talks about the ascent up to Luhith, the way that goes to name, the road that goes to, to that city. And, and what, the, what it's describing here is the refugees of Moab, you know, traveling along the highways, fleeing from this conflict. This is what's breaking Isaiah's heart to see this happening to this nation, where now they're out as refugees fleeing along the highways. Verse 6. Uh, It says, they will raise up a cry of destruction. Then verse 6, for the waters of Nimrim will be desolate. For the green grass has withered away. The grass fails. There's nothing green. Verse 6 tells us that, that even the land, the physical land of Moab, will be judged in this judgment where now the land is no longer green. The grass is withered. The grass fails. There's nothing green left in the land of Moab. Moab is still pretty desolate to this day. It's desert. But there was a time previous to this time that Isaiah is describing when the land was green, it was fertile. Now there's nothing green, he says, because of this judgment that comes upon not only the people, but upon the land itself. And Jordan, for the most part today, it's still pretty desert. There's not much green there. Therefore the abundance they have gained and what they have laid up they will carry away to the brook of the willows. And he says here that the people carry their possessions. And again, you have that picture of refugees fleeing and just whatever you can carry, whatever you can fit in a bag. He asked me how I know. And I say, bring sure true-
1: that's all we have time for today on Ring of Truth. We're so glad you joined Pastor Dan Sexton for his verse by verse study through the book of Isaiah. This extraordinary book is quoted in the New Testament more than any other Old Testament book. Plus, it provides us with the most comprehensive picture of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. It includes the full scope of his life and ministry from his virgin birth to his sacrificial death to his resurrection and second coming in glory. If you'd like a copy of today's message, you'll be able to find it on our website, calvaryec.com. You can also subscribe to our podcast so you never miss an edition of this program. That website again is calvaryec.com. We'd love to hear from you too and learn how Ring of Truth has blessed you. Please take some time soon to give us a call at 410-491-4592. Let us know how God is working in your life and if there's anything that we can be praying for during this study of Isaiah. That number again is 410-491-4592. With that, our time with you has come to an end. We pray the Lord bless and keep you and that your faith is deepened with each passing day. Tune in next time to continue our study of the book of Isaiah right here on Ring of Truth.